Welcome to Architecture Insights, a podcast series produced by the New South Wales Architects Registration Board. My name is Di Snape and I'm here in the Purple Podcast booth with my co-host and our very own registrar, Tim Horton. Hi, Di. Hi, Tim. We're also joined by our guest co-host, Jan Ryan. Hello and welcome, Jan. Oh, hi, Di. Hi, Tim. So we're hi, in the yeah. middle of our series of episodes of Architecture Insights, hearing from architects who've, whose careers have benefited from this extraordinary gift, the Byra Hadley Travelling Scholarship. Jan, Tim and I have spoken before about who mm. Byra Hadley was and what the intent of the bequest was. You're a philanthropist yourself through the Creative Music Fund. Can you tell us a little bit about why you are, what it gives to you? Uh, it Look, it, it gives you a chance to participate in making culture. In the past, other people made culture, governments and wealthy um, donors and philanthropists and so on. And now I feel that everyone can have a chance to make culture and we can make it in the way that we want it to be made. We can use our ideas and our energy uh, to partner with major organisations. I'm partnering with the Sydney Opera House on a, on a national project and we're seed funding that. Uh, and that's that's just a group of people. There's 40 of, it, 40 of us who've come together uh, to make this project. So you don't need to be rich. You just, it's not about money, it's about participating in making culture. So it's a little bit that idea of the collective city that Deborah Deering spoke about, isn't it? It really is, as, uh, as is becoming a theme in, in, these, in this series, is that everything connects the public space, the storytelling, and joining together and sharing our stories and our energy. If we don't do it, it's not going to happen. And it's a, up to us. There's a positive legacy at the end of it. Today we're going to hear Jan speaking with Hannah Tribe, who has her own practice, Tribe Studio, and was a Byra Scholarship recipient in 2011. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Jan. You uh, headed off to London for your Byra Hadley Scholarship. What was your research about? It was a, quite an unusual um, scholarship. It was not a straight research scholarship. It was a memorial scholarship for um, three emerging architects. So the three of us were sent, we didn't elect the um, research topic, we were sent to go and see the London Architecture Foundation and we were teamed up with some architecture firms from emerging architecture practices in London and it was a networking, information gathering kind of have a look at what's going on here mm. type experience in London. It was really fantastic. So what did you do, though, other than network and, you know, have a good time? You were researching some not-for-profit. Um, what led you to that? We were hosted by the London Architecture Foundation, so it was actually a straight exchange program. So we were hosted by the foundation and... And I wound up looking into what the foundation actually does and what a fascinating organisation it is. And then within the program, they took us to see projects under construction at the Olympic site, the uh, housing associated with the Olympic sites. We went into the City of London's planning department and had a really fascinating tour about how all the planning instruments in the City of London work. So they don't work across small local government areas like Sydney's councils do. It was a larger urban strategic vision and a really interesting group of um, strategic planners, town planners, architects and other design and planning professionals all working for a really terrific city vision mm. for London. 
um, and incorporating a lot of very interesting environmental measures into that, which I think was fascinating to see from Sydney's point of view. We're not quite as evolved on that front, I don't think. The Architecture Foundation is a really interesting organisation. It's a not-for-profit organisation. And from that, uh, you looked at a number of things that they do uh, with a way of looking at what could be done in Sydney. The London Architecture Foundation is a really interesting organisation. So it's a not-for-profit organisation, as you said. It's a charitable organisation run by a board of trustees. And its mission is to promote architecture and the benefits that come from architecture within the community. And it does that in several different ways. Many of its operations are things that are beautifully covered in Sydney. So it has talk series, educational series, it runs a film festival, um, and it's, it has its own um, premises that have become a meeting place for architects and designers and people who are interested. The other thing that it does, this advocacy role that it does, we don't have in Sydney... And that's where it independently and proactively identifies opportunities for architecture where currently no architecture exists. So they took us to see some of their projects and some were as small as playgrounds in places that had no joy for children. So they ran competitions for emerging architecture practices to rethink what a playground might be and make these beautiful moments of joy in a city and it just made those possible Mm -hmm. it got all the stakeholders together and it sourced funding and would lobby to make these small but very meaningful insertions into the city's fabric actually happen Mm -hmm. so that uh, made you think that we needed something like that in Sydney or we needed a way of curating that did you then at that point decide you wanted to invent something for Sydney? Yeah, that's exactly that. It was a kind of wouldn't it be great if moment. This this kind of frustration that architects see all the time is that there are organisations with buildings to build and they just don't know how to get a good outcome. They don't know how to procure a good building. And the organisations, particularly institutions and government organisations, will have very strict procurement policies which force them down a design and construct path where they've got to go with the cheapest tender, tenderer. The cheapest tenderer is a builder with an in-house building designer and they're not necessarily going to get the best architectural outcome out of that. And it's that classic thing, if the only value that's put on the project is its monetary value, then the only way it can be judged is by being cheap or expensive. Like, no other quality comes into it. So I thought, well, how can that decision-making, that procurement process have a more complex and cultural value system attached to it and really all that needs to happen is that somebody helps those people who are procuring buildings set up better criteria it's a curation role it's i feel like it's almost a communications role so how do you translate between um you know, Joe Bloggs in Strathfield Council who needs a community centre and an architect who might eventually build it. And how do you get him past the procurement bodies in councils that say you just have to go with the cheapest person? Mm. So it's education as well? Education, communication, translation. It's 
you know, speaking an architectural language in a way that people who talk about monetary value understand, which often architects, I think, do poorly, or people aren't listening. Yes, <laughs> all, all of the above. Yeah. So let's jump to Sydney, the Sydney Architecture Agency, and imagine, mm. go through some of the ideas uh, that you were inspired by through the uh, London Architecture Agency. How how would it work in Sydney? Let's just imagine, take an example, uh, how would you set it up? Would it have an office? How would it operate? Would there be people and what kind of jobs would mm. they have so we can follow through a project? Mm. I think one of the key roles would be the advocacy and architectural translation role. So somebody who would approach organisations that have potential buildings to make, local governments doing park facilities, doing public facilities, and, and of course the, all the park toilets, mm-hmm. um, approaching those organisations, understanding what, their, what landholdings they have, what problems they have, and translating those into architectural briefs. So helping the local government get from the need for a building to something to actually help an architect design that building. Mm. So that facilities that don't necessarily have architectural design now would be very easily architecturally designed. And that the procurement of those buildings is then in, or the procurement of the briefs is in the hands of people who understand how to do that, which is not necessarily a skill set that's within local government. Would this just be primarily in public areas or would you see that um, people could go and and get help with their houses? At at what point uh, is this open to everybody or, you know, something that just... I hadn't actually seen it in the domestic realm. It's a really interesting idea because I think it's... How do people choose their architect? How do they write their brief? I think there's certainly a, a real room for people to be um, given some help in how you begin the process of getting Mm. any kind of building done. And I think for big buildings as well, I mean, with a large private development, they've usually got the resources to engage a project manager who will do all this establishment work for them. They'll establish the project, they'll establish a realistic preliminary budget, they'll establish architectural and consultant briefs. So that skill set exists where the project's big enough and has the budget. But why, why does it done. have to be size? You know, exactly. it's really about the idea and bringing, mm. uh, as I understand it, a greater capacity to understand what architecture can deliver. I think that's exactly it. If we can scale that service, it will have a huge impact on the, on the city because people will be able to commission better buildings more easily. Would it be free? It would be fantastic if it were free. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how the financial model would work. I mean, I suppose that would depend on the funding. So if there were enough um, government and charitable funding towards it, then it could be offered for fee, or, or there could be a service associate, a service fee associated with it. In a sense, it's a it's another consultancy that mm. that's kind of project management light at the beginning of a of a project. So it's definitely a commercial proposition should the organisation be structured in that way. They don't do private things in London, do they? It's focused no. on, on public work. But yeah. but the model is there because what it does in London and, and what you're su- suggesting it would do theoretically in mm. Australia is that it kind of... Um, opens doors, shows people where opportunities are, what mm. what they should be thinking about, who might be the best fit for them. That would be enormously beneficial uh, to to private clients 
uh, and it might seem small, mm. but the re- return could be enormous at that level. You could start yeah. to see the streets of Sydney change. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? We do a lot of private um, residential work, and often for first-time builders or people commissioning a piece of architecture for the first time, and they all say, we don't know what to ask you, we don't know how to brief you. And we're quite good at now guiding them through that process, but they've already made that first step, right? They've done some research and decided they like our portfolio and Mm. they've come to us. But it would be fabulous if there were a way they could be led into that process earlier and given some support in finding the right fit. Yes, it's the right fit, isn't it? It's the right fit. It's finding the relationship, and and that's what, Mm. you know, I think you are curating relationships, uh, even though people are doing quite professional jobs, but there's a gap in the market for this now, um, especially as cities become so dense and intense. Mm. Uh, It's very hard to find your way through anything except um, what is mediated through media programs and so on. So your voice or the voice Mm. of the architecture profession uh, could have quite a profound impact and open some very wide doors. Mm. It's a really exciting time as the um, general public's appetite for design is growing, and that has been through the media, through... Um, what's the television show called? Grand Designs. Grand Designs. How could you forget that? <laughs> <laughs> so everybody now has a kind of low-level interest in um, construction and architecture and a real appreciation for the complexity of it, even if it is at the level of house. And then also through the internet, we can all read plans now. So everybody's been on domain.com and they know how to read a plan, which... 15 years ago was absolutely not the case. So as people get more educated and more interested in these things, appetite for architecture is really really growing. And that's such an exciting thing. Mm. If a Sydney agency for architecture could help connect people with the right architects, help them write architectural briefs, help them align budget and expectation and brief and have a you know, great kind of project management role in that sense, I think it would have a really amazing impact on the city. Another area that you mentioned where the uh, agency could play a role uh, is with uh, competitions Mm. and young architects and not not always young architects, but the incredible work that goes into international competitions and local competitions, uh, toilets being a really good example, Mm. and they don't end up being built Mm. There's a lot of energy and ideas that are getting lost and Mm. the agency could bring them to life. I think the idea of creating real competitions with a commitment to actually realising them is very exciting because Sydney has a very bad reputation for not seeing through its competition wins. And I think the Sydney scene certainly feels discouraged about entering competitions. My position on competitions has changed in the couple of years since I've since I wrote this report. I think the city of Sydney has a really excellent um, design excellence policy, which promotes competitions. And you you can see now that we're building better multi-unit residential buildings and commercial buildings as a result of this competition policy. But the flip side for businesses like mine is that they're financially very challenging because, as you say, there's so much work and IP and energy that goes into submitting these competitions and the um, submission requirements are quite onerous in terms of time, so you have to submit a lot of expensive renders and so on. So while they're fabulous because you explore ideas and it's an opportunity for for less established firms to 
be in the mix for things. I'm not sure that um, open competitions for emerging architects for all the toilets of Sydney are necessarily <laughs> the best way to support financially viable young architecture firms. <laughs> Not, no. Well, it's interesting when we're talking about the toilets of Sydney because there have been some pretty stunning toilets built around Sydney. Yeah, isn't that... The beginning of the idea comes from the toilets of Sydney, which just doesn't sound like a very salubrious place to begin. But we've got so many architects who've really made an impact through beautiful toilets. And my, my report, I show the Durback Block Olympic um, toilets is Riclopastria has beautiful toilets in um, Mossman. There are the ones at Brushcutters Bay um, by Sam Crawford. You know, really beautiful projects. And yet, most time you visit a park on the weekend in suburban Sid- Sydney, they're you know places where you feel like you might get stabbed. Yeah. <laughs> they're not places that are beautiful moments. Beautiful moments in the park. They're not. They're not lovely. So, And why aren't they? It costs just as much to build a crappy building as it does to build a nice building. Let's build them well. And that's a, that's something that the Sydney Architecture Agency could start to... You, you mm. could push your way into these things. You could create them. Mm. Uh, and and that, that would be part of the advocacy, I know, but mm. it would also be part of the reality. Yeah. At the simplest level, if the Sydney Architecture Foundation began by saying... No local government area in Sydney will ever build another bad loo. Mm. That would be enough of a mission. And all you'd have to do is go in and talk to the local governments. When are you scheduled to build new loos? Let us help you. When would you like to start this? I know it's an idea <laughs> and I'm putting you on the spot. Um, but this did come out of the Byra Hadley Scholarship mm. Program and many of these ideas really kind of get in under people's skin. They really become their idea. How's it sat with you over time? How's it changed the way you think uh, about what the city needs, Sydney in this case? It's one of those funny ideas that just sits in the back of my mind. But I always, I always think about that agency for architecture. And I've got a, I've got a kind of funny 1960s vision where it's like a spy agency, like Maxwell <laughs> Smart's agency for architecture. But this, cl- <laughs> this clever um, agency, obviously cleverer than Maxwell Smart, that's setting up the right architect with the right project and the right people. Hannah, could this be a bit like speed dating? Speed dating for architects, what a fantastic idea. So there are suddenly all these people with small budgets and how do you meet a young architect with not a great portfolio or a big media budget? So you could set up speed dating for architects, potential clients and a buzzer. And around they go and meet different people and choose an architect to work with. And the flip side of the agency's role in this, so the agency's role would be to set up the speed dating night, but also to partner those young architects with an older architect, a more experienced architect who will help them manage the budget. Mm. So the agency's role could be about matching up residential clients with the right architects, but also mentoring that architect through the process. Mm, and you could hold one a month or whatever you had the capacity to do. You'd meet a lot of people and you'd meet a lot of clients and you'd change a lot of lives. And you'd change, and you'd change the city, yeah. change how people live. Yeah, amazing. There's a gap in the market. There's a gap in the market. Are you going to rise to the occasion? <laughs> Not this week, but Not this maybe week. this decade. We'll let, you, uh, we'll let you off on this week, but we'll keep you, we'll keep you on the case there. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Joan. Jan Ryan with Hannah Tribe from Tribe Studio, um, who received her BHTS 
that's what we call Byron Hadley Travelling Scholarships, in 2011, who was investigating at the time the potential for a Sydney architecture agency, which is a great idea. And I can only imagine how great that would be if mm. maybe there was a bequest or a philanthropic fund. Is there a way to make could, it happen? Is there a way to make this happen? Tim, you've had the benefit of talking to loads of people who've received the scholarship over the years. What have you observed is the most significant benefit the scholarship has had? In a really wide sense, the scholarship is a platform for lots of students, graduates and architects to overlay their own interest, you know, that interest that they haven't had the chance to follow. And so it's providing the time and the resources for them to to do that. It's not prescriptive about what the topics or themes are. So we've seen housing and we've seen social impact and we've seen uh, building technologies and we've seen things like HANAs, which is, you know, who is the advocate for and how do we find information on what makes a city? So that's in some ways one of the great gifts that Byra has made possible. But at another level, what we find is that so many Byra alumni tell us that it was the beginning of an abiding interest that continued through their career that they've been able to develop. So David Holm, for example, and um, uh, Deborah Deering and people like that, we see the early work, the early research, the early travel reflected in their practice later on. And it's not just um, students or recent graduates who are able to apply for the scholarship. You can you can come into it at any point in your career, can't you? Right. So as long as you are a graduate, so mm. Byra was a you know, New South Welshman, so as long as you have graduated from a, a School of Architecture in New South Wales uh, or are currently at a School of Architecture in New South Wales, uh, you can apply for a Byra Hadley Travelling Scholarship. You can hear from other Byra scholars on our podcast series in the coming weeks. Jan will be speaking with Matt Chan of Scale Architecture. Imogene Tudor from Sam Crawford Architects, Dr Deborah Deering, who is the North District Commissioner for the Greater Sydney Commission, and Ben Peake from Carter Williamson Architects. You've been listening to Architecture Insights, brought to you by the New South Wales Architects Registration Board, and I'm Di Snape.